Well, you have made it to the final session today. I'm, in, I'm impressed you're still here. One more of Ezekiel. It does my heart so good, I tell you. <laughs> um, I appreciate all of your kind comments, and everyone's been so attentive and engaged, and it's wonderful. I feel like the day's kind of flown by. I don't know about you, um, but uh, it's, it's been good. If you want to take your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Ezekiel 37. We're going to have to skip all the way over to Ezekiel 37. I, I hope two things are happening as I teach from Ezekiel and as I teach tomorrow. Number one, I, I hope that you're getting a picture of God that maybe you haven't gotten in a while. The prophets in the Old Testament... They show us the heart of God. And so we get to see a heart, the heart of God, when God is hurt and him saying, turn and live, and how passionate that is. Uh, we get to see uh, the heart of God when God is offended because his people are disrespecting him. And so we really get to see who God is. And in Ezekiel in particular, we see, get, get to see what God wants to do, which is help every person come to know him. But secondly, I hope that you're getting uh, to see some passages in Ezekiel that maybe you can hold on to a little bit. Ezekiel 18 is a great text, and, and it would do your heart good to read over it from time to time, as well as chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, as well as chapter 1, chapters 1 through 3, um, which is where Ezekiel's called to be a prophet. I would add into that uh, chapters 34 and 36, and I regret that we cannot spend time in those chapters, but those are powerful passages as well. But I love chapter 37, and it's probably a, a passage that you've heard of before, and so um, I want to spend some time there this afternoon. I recently read a story about uh, two teenagers, one named CJ and one named Mariah, who were from Parma, Ohio, and that was, that's a suburb just outside of Cleveland. And they claimed that they liked to go and walk in the woods together behind this shopping center. They, they claimed they liked to do that together because it was a great place to look for birds. To me, that sounds a little bit suspicious. I think they just kind of wanted to be alone, you know. But one time, they were walking in the woods behind the shopping center looking for birds, and they happened to see that somebody has thrown out a whole bunch of trash. And, and there's different bits of pieces of various things, and there's this big mattress, and on top of the mattress, there's something that looks like a bone. And CJ sees that, and he says... That's a femur right there. That is a femur. I must, he must have been good in biology class. That's a femur. That's got to be. Mariah wasn't totally convinced that that was a human bone. She thought, ah, maybe this is just Halloween trash and stuff that's been thrown out. And so they start kind of searching through the other items, and they find some other items that look like human bones, and they find something that looks like a skull. And again, Mariah, thinking this might just be Halloween paraphernalia, she grabs the skull and picks it up. Okay, if you, if you ever find something that looks like a human bone or a human skull, don't pick it up, okay? Just 
take my advice on this. Don't pick it. But she, she picks it up. She feels the texture. And she can tell this is a human skull. These are human bones. And so immediately, CJ and Mariah alert the authorities. And the police come. And they start to take away all the items. Now, thankfully, I've never had that experience where I've come across human bones as I'm walking through the woods. Maybe John has as he's ridden his horse. Okay, he hasn't. Um, whenever we see that, it becomes a newsworthy item. Why? Because it means two things. In this case of C.J. and Mariah, it means at least two things. Number one, someone's died. Someone has died, and probably we're not aware that they have died because we've found their bones strewn, strewn, some, strewn along the way. But number two, it means that their remains have not been properly disposed of. Normally, when someone dies, we bury them in a casket and put them in the ground. And so if we find bones somewhere, it tells us that the remains have not been properly disposed of. And so something fishy is going on here. And typically, that's a sign of some sort of foul play, because this is not what you do with dead bones. You don't just leave them out there. Now, I think this is a really good story to help us as we enter into Ezekiel 37, because Ezekiel is not just going to stumble along a handful of bones. He's going to come across a whole valley, a whole lot of them. Now, to recap where we are in the book of Ezekiel. So I've told you that Ezekiel was a prophet. He was sent to the exiles in Babylon, that group of 10,000 that had to leave Israel in what we call the first deportation. They're asking a lot of questions. Where is God? Why has God allowed this to happen? What's really going on? What's going to happen to our friends in Jerusalem? Um, What's our future going to hold? And Ezekiel explains to them, first half of the book, God's judging you. That's what's going on. God's left the temple. Don't expect God to help you out because God has left his people. We are in exile, and so Babylon is going to destroy us. And like I mentioned in Ezekiel, they say, well, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. Yes, it is your fault, Ezekiel says. It is your fault. God is judging his people. Well, after a couple of years of Ezekiel saying this message, Jerusalem eventually does get destroyed. The Babylonians come and they completely wipe out Jerusalem. The temple is burned. The king, who was in the line of David, is taken prisoner. And the rest of the people are then taken into Babylon. And that's what we call the second deportation that happened in 587 BC. And so the rest of the people are brought into Babylon. Well, at this point, the people of Israel the exiles, they realize, okay, what Ezekiel was saying earlier, he was right. God has left us, and God is upset with us, and God has judged us. And so all of a sudden, the tune changes. The questions change. Now the question is, why is this happening to us? The question is, do we have any future? God's left us. Our home is crushed. The temple is gone. Do we have any future? Will God ever come back to us? Do we have any hope? That's the questions. And we can see how difficult this was for the exiles in this verse right here. This is Ezekiel 33, verse 12, where the people, these are the exiles saying this. They say, our offenses and sins weigh us down 
and we are wasting away because of them. How can we live? So the people understand now we're sinners. And it's because of our mistakes and our rebellion that God has destroyed the temple and now we're in exile. And so where do we go from here? How do we pick up the pieces of our life and try to move forward? And so to help them with that question, Ezekiel starts to give some different messages. This is the good part of Ezekiel, the messages of hope, the messages of a future. And these messages are primarily found in chapters 34 through 37. And we're going to look at chapter 37 right now. And so let me begin reading in verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. I've tried to think about what would be a way to help us understand what it would have been like to come across a valley of bones and the best illustration maybe I could come up with is I watched a movie, it was given to me by someone from our church a few years ago called Hotel Rwanda. Anyone heard of that movie? Hotel Rwanda. It's a movie that chronicles the genocide that happened in Rwanda in the 1990s where you had the Hutus and the Tutsis and the Hutus decide that they're going to try to kill off the Tutsis and do a, what was called an ethnic cleanse. And they think that about a million Tutsis were killed in the process of this. Well, there was this Hotel Rwanda is about this man named Paul Ruesa Bajina, who is a hotel owner. And he sees what's going on. And so he tries to, in a spirit of mercy, provide a haven for uh, Tutsi Rwandans to try to pro provide a place where they could be safe so the Hutus don't kill them. And so the whole movie is about this story about him trying to do that. Well, there's this part in the movie where Paul goes off to get supplies for the hotel. And as he's on his way back to the hotel, they're driving along and the van starts hitting a whole bunch of bumps and the van starts going like this. And Paul says, stop, 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 stop driving. Let's get out. Let's see what's, did we go off the road? What, what's going on? And he gets out of the car. This is actually the screenshot of the movie. He gets out of the car and he realizes that what is littered all over the road are dead corpses. Dead Rwandan Tutsis. As far as the eye can see. All dead. And he can't believe his eyes at how terrible this is. Now, I share that with you because I think that gives us a picture for how Ezekiel felt when he walks in this vision to a valley of dry bones. And all he sees as the eye can see, as far as the eye can see, is bones, bones. And so what that means when Ezekiel sees all those bones is a whole lot of people have died a whole lot of people have died. A mass of people have died. And number two, what it means is that these remains have not been properly disposed of. And in the Old Testament, if you did not properly dispose of dead remains, it meant that that person is accursed. 
And so when, when Ezekiel sees this valley of dry bones, what it tells him is that there's a whole lot of people who have died and it's a terrible, terrible thing. And this group of people who have died, they are accursed. They are accursed. And we learn who that group of people are if you keep reading along. Verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, and we are cut off. It's important to understand, and I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow, what it means to be in exile. When the people of Israel went in exile, it wasn't simply that they just had to change their address. And now the address is not Jerusalem. The address is Babylon. When they became an exile, it was that God had turned their, his back on his people and they were dead. They were dead. And so when Ezekiel sees this vision, he realizes our people are dead. We're dead. In the eyes of God, we are dead. He sees a whole valley of it. And if you're like me, there are times in our life where we find ourselves where Ezekiel was and we're in the valley and all we see is death and all we smell is rotten corpses <laughs> and all we're experiencing is the forsakenness of God, the absence of God and we have no hope and we have no future. You ever been there? Ever been in that valley? If you live life long enough, you'll be in that valley. Maybe you're in the valley or you'll, you're, you're in, you might be in the valley when you relapse from an alcohol or drug or some other kind of addiction and you, and you experience a lot of regret and embarrassment and you're in the valley. Or maybe you get in the valley when a relationship goes awry, when your marriage is not going well, or you're having a situation with a friend where things have been torn apart and you're frustrated and you're hurt and you're in the valley. Or maybe you were in the valley before you came to know Christ and you were living a life of selfishness and you were focused on your own things and you were far away from God and life was a mess and you're in the valley. If you live life long enough, you're going to find yourself in that same valley where Ezekiel was, where all you smell is death, all you see is hurt and loss and grief and the forsakenness of God. At our, our church on Tuesdays, we have a food distribution program. And a part of that food distribution, I lead a prayer group for our neighbors who come to get food. And so we have a little time, about 10 minutes or so, 10 or 15 minutes, where those that want to come and just spend some time in prayer, they can come join me. And I take prayer requests. And then we offer a special prayer. And it's a really rich time. But there was a time several months ago where we had all gathered in a room. And there was about 10 of us or so. And we were going around the room. And, and most of these neighbors are, are going through a lot of difficult challenges. And we get to this one lady and I said, okay, what is your name and what prayer request do you have? And she immediately starts crying. 
And she begins to tell me how she's in this abusive relationship, how this man is very abusive towards her. And because of that, it's affecting her physical health. And she's stressed out. And she doesn't know what to do. And she feels lost and out of place. She was in the valley. She was in the valley. And whenever you're in that valley, where all you experience is death and hopelessness and despair, there's a question that we sometimes start to ask. It's a question that God asks Ezekiel. If I move on ahead here. Um, it's the question, can these bones live? And on the, on the surface, it seems like this is a question of possibility. Is it possible for these dry bones to live? But actually, it's a question of will. Because Ezekiel knew his Old Testament, and he probably had heard of stories about Elijah or Elisha and how God was able to use them to resuscitate a young man back to life. And so he knew it was possible that God could resurrect these dry bones in some way. But, but would God do that? And maybe the key word in this question is these. In fact, I would encourage you to underline that word. Can these bones live? Because that's the issue. Ezekiel knew that God possibly could try to bring life back to these bones, but, but would he do it for these bones? I mean, these are the bones of Israel. These are the bones of the group of the people who we talked about this morning were so far away from God that you had 25 men turning their backsides to God, worshiping the sun. This is the same group of people that were so spiritually oblivious that when God had left the temple, they thought everything was just fine. They were that far rebellious away from God. And can these bones live? And, and we can ask the same question. It's the question we ask ourselves. Whenever you're in that valley, whenever you're in that low, low point in life, you ask yourself this question. Can, can these bones live? Yes, Lord, I know you can do all things. Yes, Lord, I know you have all power. Yes, I know you can make things good again. But can these bones live? You don't know what I have done, Lord. You don't know the mistakes I've made. And can these bones live? Lord, I have just, just um, I've just relapsed for the umpteenth time. I have gone back into my addiction over and over again. Can these bones live? Lord, I know that you can bring a marriage back together. Lord, I know you can take a relationship that's broken and bring it back together. But you don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know the selfishness that I've experienced. Can these bones live? Yes, Lord, I know you can make someone who's grieving feel joy again. Yes, I know you can bring me peace again into my life, but you don't know what I've been through over the past six months. You don't know the struggles that I've been through. Can these bones live? Lord, I know that you can fix the mess in my life. I know that you can make all things right. You always do, but you don't understand what's going on in my life. Can these bones live? That's the question. God, I know what you can do, but will you do it in me? Can these bones live? Ezekiel doesn't answer that question because it's not his question to answer. It's God's question to answer. And so God takes Ezekiel and he says to him that he wants him to preach. He says, I want you to go and preach to the bones. 
Now, I've preached in a lot of strange places, but I have never preached in a graveyard. Now, if you ever see John preaching in the cemetery, just say, hey, John's just being like Ezekiel. He's not crazy, okay? <laughs> but God says to Ezekiel, I want, to, I want you to start preaching to the bones. And the message that God wants Ezekiel to preach, it revolves around one main concept, and that concept is the spirit. In fact, actually, I was talking with Jake earlier, and, and I think of all the Old Testament books, Ezekiel talks about the spirit probably more than any other Old Testament book. And it's heavily concentrated right here in Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, you don't always see it in your translations, because the Hebrew word that is used for spirit, I'm going, to teach you, I'm going to teach you some Hebrew. Those guys that left early, you can, boy, you can let them have it now and be like, we know Hebrew, okay? I want you to say this after me, ruah, ruah. It's a Hebrew word for spirit. But sometimes it's translated breath and sometimes it's translated wind. But every time you see spirit, breath, or wind, it's ruah. And so read with me, look at verse four. It says, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make ruah enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath ruah in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And so God tells Ezekiel to start preaching this message about the spirit, ruah, coming into these bones. And as he preaches, the spirit starts to come. It's the same way it works today. As he preached, the spirit started to come forth. And the spirit comes into those bones. And all of a sudden, it says that the bones start rattling and, and it make, there's a sound. And the Hebrew word that's used here is normally the sound used to describe an earthquake, except here it's a bone quake. <laughs> the bones start rattling and the toe bone starts to become connected to the foot bone and the foot bone starts to become connected to the heel bone, the heel bone. Y'all know that song? Okay. I was trying to get Rusty to lead that song, but he wouldn't do it. So. <laughs> They start to become connected and tendons start to form and then flesh starts to come over the tendons. But, but then they're just, they're bodies, but they're still lifeless. And so there's a second part to this. There's a second part to this. And so we skip on down in verse nine, I believe. Then he said to me, prophesy to the, to the, breath to the Ruah. Prophesy, son of man, say in it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O Ruah, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and Ruah entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. There's a, a two-part process here where the spirit comes. First, to bring the bones together and to bring the tendons and the skin. But then there's another process where the spirit comes to actually breathe life into these dead bones. Now, what's interesting about this two-part process is you flip over to Genesis chapter 2. How did God create mankind? It was a two-part process. 
took dust, formed us out of dust. And the second part, breathed into us the breath of life. You see what God is saying to Ezekiel? Here's what I'm going to do down the road. Here's the future. Here's the hope. The future is, is that down the road, I'm going to make this valley of dry bones into new creation. Into new creation. That's what's going to happen. And it's going to happen by the Spirit of God. And, and so Ezekiel's job is to take this vision and to go back to the exiles and to tell them basically this. Guys, I got bad news and good news. <laughs> you want the bad news first or the good news? I'll give you the bad news first. Bad news, we're dead. We are completely utterly dead. In the eyes of God, we are dead and we've got no hope. But get here, but here's the good news. Down the road, there's a future. And God is going to come by the power of his spirit. He's going to breathe into us. And slowly but surely, we are going to become new creation. And we flip on ahead to the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost. Remember what happens on that day. The spirit is poured out. And Peter stands up, begins to preach the first gospel sermon. And he preaches about how Jesus Christ was the Messiah, but he was crucified and that they need to change their hearts. They say, well, what should we do? Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of what? Ruah. Ruah. You know what was happening on the day of Pentecost? Ezekiel 37 was happening on the day of Pentecost. God was taking his dead people from the old covenant and he was making them alive again in the new covenant. He was restoring them. He was breathing his spirit into them so they could live again. And 3,000 people that day responded to the message and were baptized into Christ and received the Ruah and became what we call the church, the restored people of God. And God was faithful to his promise in Ezekiel 37. And church, he's still doing that same process today. He's still doing that same process today. And people who are in the valley people who are dead, people who are experiencing hopelessness, God is coming and he's breathing his spirit into them and he's giving them new life and he's adding them to the church. It's happening today, right? And, there's, and here's where we have great hope and where we have great good news because the good news that we can offer to the world is that you might be dead you might feel dead. You might be in a valley. You might be in your lowest point. But we serve a God who can breathe new life into you. He can breathe into that addicted mind and cause that person to resist things that on their own, they just can't, they can't do it. I've seen it. He can bring new life to the addict. He can breathe into that broken relationship in a marriage that is far apart, he can bring it back together in the name of Jesus. I've seen it, church. I've seen it. Have you? I performed a wedding one time for a couple that were divorced. They were divorced, had been divorced for several years. 
They had a lot of things going on in their life. They got some things straightened up in their life. One of their children had a grandchild, and they met one another again in the hospital room, seeing that new baby. They started talking, started courting again. They said, you know what? Let's make another go of it. And they asked me to do their wedding again. The family thought it was incredibly awkward. I thought it was awesome. God was breathing new life into their marriage. God can breathe new life into grief. You're going through health struggles, going through loss of a loved one, and all you feel is depression. God can breathe new life into that. I've seen it. We serve a God who is the God of resurrection, who can take a valley of dry, dusty bones, and he can breathe into them and allow new creation to come about. He does it every day. But I want you to notice again, I want you to notice again what he said in verse 6, I believe. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put ruah in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Remember what I told you in our very first session? Over 50 times that phrase is used so that you will know. And it's used over and over again because everything that God does in the book of Ezekiel, he does it for this explicit purpose to draw Israel and the rest of the world to know him because God is a missionary God and God wants all people to know him. And so everything that God does, even when he retracts his presence, he does it to draw people to himself. And it's the same here. God breathed new life into you and to me so that we can become witnesses to the world, so that the world can see us and say, wow, how did that happen in your life? And we can say, it's the Spirit of God. Spirit of God changing me. God's a God of new creation. He makes us new. I mentioned in that last session about our outreach event, Day of Hope. That's one reason why we have our Day of Hope is because we want to have a platform where we can have people who've experienced God changing their life to stand up before our community and say, let me tell you what God has done in me. Because God didn't just do this in me so I can feel good and so that my life can get me put back together. He did this in me so that the world will come to know him. The best witness to the world is a transformed life. You want to make a difference on your family, on your neighbors? You want them to know about Jesus? demonstrate a transformed life. And they'll say, wow, you're different than you used to be. You don't gossip. You're not lazy anymore. You don't use that bad language you used to. What happened to you? The ruah. Tell them, use the word ruah. The ruah (laughs) came into me. I'm a new creation through Jesus. We should have some stories to tell like that. There's a, there's a story that I really love about something that happened up in Canada where there was a dispute over land. And there was this land that some Native Americans had lived on for years and years and years. And then there were some government officials who, who came up there and had a deed and said, uh, this is our land. You need to go, get off our land. 
And it created this whole dispute. You got the, the chief of the, of the tribe saying, we've lived here for years and years and years. You're, you're claiming that this is your land. We've been here forever. And just because you have some kind of piece of paper doesn't mean this is your land. No, but we got the deed. We went into the, the governmental office. This land belongs to us. And it went back and forth, back and forth, until finally the chief stood up. And he said this. He said, if this is your land, where are your stories? Now, here's what he meant by that. He meant, if you have lived on this land, if this land actually belongs to you, you should have some stories of how you've been a part of the land. You should have some stories about how you've raised crops on this land. You should have some stories about how you've loved this land. You should, you should have some stories. If this really belongs to you, you should have some stories. And my my plea with the church is if we believe Ezekiel 37, that God is a God of new creation, that he can take a valley of dry bones, he can breathe his spirit into them, and then come back to life and be a vast army. Where are our stories? We should have some stories to tell of how God has breathed new life into us, how God has changed us, how God has transformed us, how he's made us new. And those stories are a witness to the world. They are a witness to the world. And so Ezekiel 37 challenges us. It challenges us, number one, to let God's spirit breathe into us. But number two, it challenges us to join him in proclaiming to the world this wonderful witness that we serve a God of new creation. But let me just add one little extra tidbit to that. Transformation is not going to happen. God's spirit is not going to breathe new life into you unless you're willing to surrender to him. Did you notice what Ezekiel did in Ezekiel 37? What did he do? He did one thing. What did he do? Which was to preach, right? That's all he did. He preached. God did everything else. God put the bones back together. God attached the tendons. God put the skin around it. God breathed his spirit to give it life again. God did everything. Ezekiel just had to be obedient and surrender. And it's the same way with us. If we want to be that transformed witness, we have to surrender and let God come into us and change our lives for his glory. And may God bless us as we try to do that. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, thank you for our time together in studying the book of Ezekiel. And Lord, we are so encouraged to know you're a God of, of transformation. You're a God of new creation. You're a God that can take dry, dusty bones and bring them to life. And Lord, help us to tell the stories of how you've done that. Help us to be the witnesses that proclaim to our community and to the world, God's changed my life. He's made it new. And he continues to make it new every day. Help us to, to not be bashful about that. Help us to be attentive to how you're working in our life. Help us to surrender to you so that you can do in us what you want to be done so that we can give you glory 
with a transformed life. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.